Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Amber Morgan and the Manny Camper. Amber was a guest back in February of 2018, and she's one of those surprising Amarillo creatives. I mean, who else do you know who lives here, but also travels to New York City to do nails for Fashion Week? Amber is a nail artist at Ugly Press Salon, but she's also the owner of The Manny Camper, a mobile nail salon that's perfect for birthday parties, bridal and bachelorette parties, girls' night out, employee appreciation, and a whole lot more. She does the nails for my wife and my daughter. They both love her, uh, and they have cool nails. So go to themannycamper.com or follow The Manny Camper on Instagram. Today's guest is Ashley Jordan. Ashley works for Family Support Services of Amarillo, and it's a it's a wide-ranging nonprofit that provides a variety of services for local people, from survivors of domestic abuse, sexual assault, to veterans and children and other clients who need counseling. Well, Ashley's work involves outreach and education about sexual trafficking, which is one of those issues you've probably heard about, but rarely think of in the context of Amarillo. You don't think of it as a local problem. Ashley's here to talk about it, and I'm pretty sure she is one of the youngest guests we've had on the show so far, but she has an incredible story, a super interesting perspective on Amarillo. She's a relative newcomer to the area, and she's doing really significant work. So here's Ashley Jordan. Ashley Jordan, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, I I know that uh, you've got a lot of different things you're involved with that we can talk about, but one of the things I like to do to start is just to ask my guest to explain how you ended up here. So why are you in Amarillo? What brought you here in the first place? Um, I don't think I'm very special in how I got to Amarillo. Like most transplants that come here, I stumbled upon Amarillo. My parents growing up, we were in an RV, and so we were in a different state like every two weeks. Really? Yes, until I was 15. And so that's how I grew up. And so when we, when I was 15, they finally settled somewhere, and that was so hard for me to be in one place. So from the time I was 18 to 21, I was moving like every three months. I kind of just carried that on. And I just stumbled upon Amarillo. I had an uncle that lived here, and I was like, never lived in Texas, so like, let's Let's go check it out. And I moved here and I stayed about uh, two and a half months and I left and then I came back and I don't have a lot of family here, but something pulled me back here. You hear that a lot, I think. Okay. So I, there's several things I need to do <laughs> with this because I didn't know any of this. Tell me, tell me about that upbringing. Like who are your parents and, and why was that your, your lifestyle for 15 years? You know, if I'm at like a bar, I'll tell people that my parents were gypsies, but mm-hmm. the true story is that they were evangelists. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my parents were, um, they were evangelists and we traveled and that's who they were. So we were literally living in an RV. So you didn't really have a home base no. at all. It was just an itinerant. Yeah. We literally had a, yeah, we literally from had a church truck to church RV. and event to event. That yes. kind of thing. Yes. That's, that's how I grew up. Tell me what, I, I think a lot of people can look back on that and think, oh, that sounds terrible, or oh, you must not have met anybody or had any friends. But tell me like what was good about that. How, what were the ways that that impacted who you are in like a positive way? I think back on that primarily in a positive way. Not only did it make me a really well-rounded person, but I'm also naturally an introvert, but I'm able to do things like come on a podcast because when you're in a different place every week, 
you either have to like develop social skills that you may not have had naturally, or you just kind of get lost in everything. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of forced to do that. But also like, I just, I think that traveling so much as a kid, there's things you miss out on, but I'm very close to my family, despite being very, very different from them. And I think it's because we were in a RV (laughs) my whole life. Um, We were physically very close to each other. So naturally we had to get along, but I don't know. I think that it was an incredible experience and I, I wouldn't take it back for anything. What was the church tradition that you grew up in? Uh, Pentecostal, the UPC organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was like revivals and yeah. tent meetings <laughs> and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. Was it uh, primarily like all over the United States or was it a certain region? I mean, how did that work? I think by the time I was 15, I had been to like 36, 37 odd states, but we stayed primarily in the North and South. Okay. Um, is primarily what we did. So tell me about what life was like when you finally got settled down, you know, in one place, you know, when that itinerant lifestyle sort of stopped and and you had a chance to think about whether it was your family or you yourself, where am I going to plant some roots? Yeah. You know, the, it's funny that you say like planting roots because being grounded is something that very recently became very important to me because of Amarillo. But so when they settled down, they settled into the deep hard South, like they're 20 minutes from the beach on the South coast on the Mississippi, Alabama state line. That was very difficult for me, uh, at 15 to be, I mean, I never fit in anywhere because like I'd never grew up anywhere. So everywhere I went, people like assumed I had an accent, didn't know where I was from, no matter where I was, you know? Um, but moving there was very hard. It was very hard to stay still. It was very hard for all my friends to be 20 hours away from me. Mm-hmm can't say I ever grew to love it because (laughs) I didn't. I mean, there's good experiences there, but it was, it was hard being 15 and moving to the deep hard South after traveling for most of your life, you know? So tell me when you, when you eventually got, um, you know, more on your own and decided whether it was the first time or like the second time that, that Amarillo was a place you wanted to try out, what factored in that decision? Like keeping me here or me coming well, here in the first like, place? Well, you know, the first time, I know you had family here, yeah. uh, but you said you didn't stay. So yeah. uh, tell me when you decided, okay, I'm going to come here and I'm going to give it more than three months. I think that the first time I was just still a little stir crazy. And so I was inevitably going to move no matter where I was. You know what I mean? The second time that I came, I had some things holding me here, like personal relationships and things. Um, but those ended pretty quickly. And then what kept me here was... Um, my job, which mm-hmm. led into community, which led into like, there's a lot of reasons that I stay in Amarillo, but those are, that's what kept me here to begin with. I think longer than a few weeks. Okay. <laughs> did you go to college during that time? I did not. Yeah. That's not how really my career got started. I didn't, I don't feel like college was in the cards for me because okay. I moved so much. That's not to say that I don't support higher education because I really, really but Were do. you like homeschooled like through all that? Yes. Did you ever go to a traditional high school or, or anything like that? I went to two public schools, one private school, um, but never. I don't even think I ever made it a year through a school. Okay. So, um, so you're no, almost not really. Never a high school. Unschooled you know, for <laughs> most of your upbringing. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's an obvious reason why college never seemed like the, the best fit for you. Yeah. I, I'd like to hear a little bit from you before we talk really about, about your work. Once you came to Amarillo... You know, having been in so many different places, having never really lived a place where you felt like you belonged, like what did you find here? What was what were your impressions of the city or the people? I mean, you from what I understand, you probably didn't have like a real perspective on it beforehand because you 
hadn't grown up here. You didn't grow up in a small town around here, you know? So what, what did you discover when you got to Amarillo? When I first came here, I had the same impression that absolutely everyone has that either drives through or doesn't stay long, which of course was like that it was a bunch of cowboys and that like I, I, there wasn't people here that fit me that I, I didn't fit in. That was my first impression. And it really wasn't until I had a job that there were like-minded people that I was working with and also um, just some places that I started to frequent that really gave me an end to this whole other world of Amarillo that I did not, that's not on the surface, if that makes sense. Like it's not on the surface of Amarillo mm-hmm. that all these things. Like you don't see here. it immediately. Yes. You have to, you have, you have to, to be explore. moving around here. Yeah, Absolutely. What were some of those things? Like, what can you identify yeah. some of those characteristics? Yeah. So I think that, so like I said, when I first started my agency, um, I worked for a rape crisis center. So I was working with a lot of people that were passionate about the same things I did. And those people ended up introducing me to more people. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's this whole community of people here that care about the things that I care about. Um, and also my agency is two blocks from Palace Coffee. And so one time I walked in and I just saw these people that felt like they would be my people. There's no way you can know that right mm-hmm. without getting to know them. But is that the downtown location? Mm-hmm. But it felt like home to me. And so I just started going every morning. And that's how that kind of did the same thing. Like I met people there by going every morning and they introduced me to people that have that love the same things that I do. And I think that I think Amarillo kind of has this like face of being something when there's so much there's so much more to it. Yeah, I understand that. And I, I think the perspective you offer is valuable because a lot of people who live here either grew up here mm-hmm. and so they it, it's always just been part of their fabric or they came here already knowing Amarillo. So maybe they lived in Lubbock or they had family here or they lived in a small town. And so everybody either has these pre-existing ideas of, of what the city is. And I, I love hearing from outsiders, especially somebody like you that just didn't have an experience of it yeah. until you moved here. Um, because I think sometimes we understand better about who we are by letting someone kind of outside say, this is who you are. Yeah. And it's important to know who we are from the inside and from the outside. So what would you say to somebody that is like, this is, this is what you need to understand about Amarillo from someone who decided to come here yeah. and didn't have a, a preconceived idea. I talk about Amarillo a lot because, so I've been here four years. It's the longest I've ever lived anywhere in my whole entire life. Um, so I tell, so people are always asking me that are not from here. What in the world is keeping me, <laughs> is keeping me here? First of all, if you're coming here, one of my favorite things about Amarillo is that it's a weird place. Okay. Like it is super weird. It's full of really weird historical stories and it's weird. Like, the culture's weird and it's diverse and there's just a lot of like people say keep Austin weird, obviously, but mm-hmm. I'm always like I'm not from Texas, so I can just like say keep Amarillo weird because it's a weird place. But I, I if if someone was coming to Amarillo, I would just want them to know like that their people are here. You just have to look for them. And that takes exploring and it takes not going to the places that come up whenever you like, cause if you Google Amarillo, right. it's going to tell you to like go to a steakhouse. It's going to tell you to like go to Cadillac ranch, which like it's all fine. And that's cool. If that's your thing, but you're not going to find Amarillo people. Yeah. But you're Cadillac not going to find, you know? yeah, you're not going to find what you're really looking for on a Google search. So like explore, like drive around the city. And if you walk in somewhere and those people seem like they would be your people, stay there, start frequenting there. Something I've noticed about Amarillo is they really value regulars, like regular Mm -hmm. customers, like local places here. I guess that would be anywhere, but Amarillo loves 
local things. And they also love people that come there all the time. And so I think that that's really how I grew here was by being a regular at places. And so I would encourage someone moving here to do that. Okay. Like find, find your coffee shop. Yeah. Find find your coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the work that you do. So okay. tell me, tell me sort of your career progression, you know, as, as a grown up. you know, once yeah. you decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life. What yeah. happened? The way I got involved in the work against trafficking was, like I said, I'd moved to this weird place when I was 15. I did not have a lot of friends. Um, and around 16, the work against sexual violence became very important to me. So I didn't have a lot of friends. It didn't really fit in. This is when you were in the deep South. This is when I was in the deep South. Yeah. Um, So what I ended up doing was just kind of being an activist against those things as a teenager. It's kind of what took up my time because I didn't have really much of a social life. Mm -hmm. I think I was 19 when my friend reached out to me and she said, you know, there's an organization that combats human trafficking in Thailand and you should, I really think you should go. And so they interviewed me and they accepted me, which was really incredible And this was seven years ago. So this was before human trafficking was kind of a buzzword. Right. So like it was not really under, it's still very, very much misunderstood, like what it is, what it looks like, especially in the States. Um, Was that still though within like the the Christian nonprofit world? Because I I do remember that that's where a lot of people first began hearing about the issue, you know, was, was within that. This, this particular, I had left the church full disclosure at at this point, but this organization was faith based, but they weren't faith motivated. If that makes sense. They were planted in faith values, I suppose, but they didn't go out and save, try to save human trafficking with the gospel. If that makes sense. They didn't do that. It wasn't an evangelistic sort of thing, although it may have had beginnings in that community. Right. Um, so she told me, you know, to apply and I did, and I got in and this was, I just, I didn't really understand what it was. I was thinking like sex slaves and like all these things I just didn't really understand. And I'm a major researcher. So if something is interesting to me, I'm going to just like research it so much. Um, So that's what I did. So when I got accepted, I was like, well, I'm not going to go and not truly understand what this is. And in my research, I found that it was happening just as much in the States as it was in somewhere like Thailand. It looks a lot different. Like in Thailand, there's red light districts where you can drive up and literally order someone and it's no big deal. Right. In the States, it looks different. It's a harder fight because it looks a lot different. But anyway, so when I found that out, I've always had a personal dilemma with going over to other places and doing something that you could be doing in your own community or doing in your own city. And I think People are called to different things and that people should do what they feel like they're called to. But I've never been okay with that personally. Right. And so when I realized what was going on, I was like, I can't, I can't go. They even tried to offer me a full scholarship. And I was like, I just can't, I can't go over there for X amount of months if I'm sitting here knowing this is happening right here. Right. So that was kind of how I got involved (laughs) with, uh, with the, with combating human trafficking. Um, And it was just always really a really special issue to me because I realized how vastly misunderstood it was. So I continued moving all the time. So I would just pick up, I've had some weird jobs, like just some weird odd and end jobs. Um, But I always would find something that was going on regarding that topic. And so that's just, I'm really fortunate now to get to do that as my job to go out there and educate people on what human trafficking actually looks like. Okay, so let's let's tell people then 
what you do now. What is that job? Um, so I'm the human trafficking outreach coordinator for family support services. And so we offer case management for trafficking victims. Um, but my job is primarily to kind of get the word out there, what trafficking actually is, what it really looks like, uh, what it looks like in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, you know, talking to a lot of people that we do offer that case management for trafficking victims and talking to them about that. So that's primarily my job. And I also oversee, um, the coalition against trafficking in Amarillo or in the panhandle. Okay, so if people have heard of human trafficking or have, you know, that kind of awareness, they might think of it in terms of someplace like Thailand, sure, which is, is still very foreign to us. Or they might think, well, you know, maybe there's places like Vegas or San Francisco, you know, where weird right. stuff happens, whatever. What does it look like in Texas or what does it look like in Amarillo? It's a loaded question, right? So like, you can, I, the way I kind of sum it up is there's more of a narrative here. There's more of a narrative in how someone becomes trafficked here, as opposed to like in Thailand, it's just very black and white. And mm -hmm. here, a lot of times it looks like a love story gone wrong. It okay. looks like a consensual prostitute sometimes. So a lot of times I will say the word trafficking and people are just like appalled but then they like snub their nose when they go down to the boulevard and they see a girl walking down the street. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of times trafficking looks exactly like that. They do have some agency, um, but their pimp or their trafficker says things like, you know, if you leave, like if you leave me, if you go to the police, I'll hurt your family. I'll hurt a lot of coercion, a lot of threats. Um, so as far as what it looks like in Texas, what it looks like in the States in general, like I said, a lot of times it just looks like a, a love story that's gone wrong mm. and it doesn't, we market trafficking with like girls in cages and that does happen sometimes for sure. But like that psychological manipulation that traffickers use is much more powerful than kidnapping, right? Like if they kidnap a victim, they're going to run away as opposed to if I can coerce you to stay, if I can threaten your sister or threaten your mother and that's how I get you to stay here. That's, it's much more powerful. She's not going to leave or he's not going to leave. I'm curious about the process of the work you do, mm -hmm. because in human trafficking, you, you often hear people talking about rescuing people from human trafficking, which sounds like a let's go grab them and get them out. Now they're rescued, you know, but you do case management, which has a longer term. This is not an immediate thing. It's not just yanking somebody out of a bad place. Mm -hmm. There's a process involved. So on a daily basis or a weekly basis, I mean, what does your job look like? So to touch real fast on you saying like rescuing victims, that's another huge misconception is that victims are asking for help that, you know, you can mm -hmm. go in a house and they're all dying to get out of there. I can't get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes it, it doesn't look that way. Um, but my week personally is figuring out who the key players are kind of in needing to know what trafficking looks like. So for example, you may work for a bank and you have no idea that you see trafficking all the time. And so my job is kind of sitting down and strategically thinking like who is seeing victims and they don't realize they're seeing them and reaching out to them and talking to them about like warning signs and what they can do. Um, as far as our case management side, that's what my side looks okay. like. But like as far as our case management side goes, if we have a victim present and a lot of times that's through referrals, someone caught on to something or maybe their pimp finally went too far. Like maybe they needed a shelter or, or something like that. However they present, our case management is extremely intense. So it's like in an ideal world, what would you want to, like, what would you want to do? Mm -hmm. And we really walk them through those, those steps. So a lot of times it's like getting a GED. A lot of times they don't have driver's license. A lot of times they don't have any money or identification, anything. And so a lot of times our case management at first looks like getting you a driver's license and like getting you just the main things that you need to 
have a normal life, you know? And then we work our way up. So they might need therapy. They may need housing. They may need a whole new wardrobe, like whatever they're needing. We kind of just meet them where they're at and do that case management with them. A lot of times we, we think of Amarillo as being isolated, which it, it is geographically for sure from, from big cities. But I would suspect we're not quite as isolated from these kinds of issues as most residents mm-hmm. think or hope mm-hmm. that, that there's a lot more of this happening here than probably any of us understands except for people like you. Yeah, I a lot of people ask me, like, is trafficking happening where I live? And I just ask them if they have a highway. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a highway? They're like, We happen yeah, to have a pretty We have big a one. highway. Um, so I'm like, okay, then you, you probably have it at least coming through. In a place like Amarillo, I mean, people don't understand things like parents traffic their children. And we might have different language for that. But legally, if a parent is pimping out their child, that would be considered trafficking. And so we have a lot of these terms that we kind of use interchangeably. And then nobody understands that those things are kind of similar or they look kind of the same. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like in Amarillo, you know, we have familial trafficking, but we also have a lot of things that just look like prostitution that are actually being trafficked. They're being there against their will. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it, some of it may be homegrown, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is, is even passing through just mm-hmm. because people coming down I-40 are headed somewhere Absolutely. else. I'm curious, you know, beyond like an institutional approach, which is, is what you're involved with and training and things like that. Is, is there something that individuals, you know, regular residents, you know, need to know or can do to help, you know, fight that problem or improve that issue? I mean, is, is there, you talk about training, you mm-hmm. know, bank employees and things like that. I mean, is, is this something that's like removed from me as a person or is this something that I can help with? Yeah, absolutely. I think that everyone can help in a fight against something like that. Because if you go to bars or if you go to hotels or if you go anywhere, you have the possibility to see them. And so I think that us as individuals, we just have to be more aware of our surroundings. Like, I mean, how often do we see someone that's just a little too grabby with their partner or like, um, and we're just like, well, that's, you know, that's their problem. Like that's their thing. Like um, a possessive kind yeah, of Yeah, like a possessive partner. Mm-hmm. Or what I hear a lot from store owners, just like I go to boutiques and talk to them is like they're like a girl will come in and pick out all these clothes and then her partner will come in and pay for it. That's hmm. weird. Like that's not super normal. And you can't call the police and be like, sorry, this guy's a little grabby, but you can be aware of those things and sometimes start those conversations. Like I've several times followed a girl into a bathroom and just been like, you okay? Because a lot of times they'll be forthcoming, but no one's asked them if they're okay. You know, I think as just like individuals that aren't involved in a work like that, it's, it's just becoming aware of what it looks like. And that takes research. It takes more than like an hour podcast or a 30 minute podcast. Like you really have to get out there and find out what that looks like and have the willingness to help. Um, but you can all, if you see something suspicious, I mean, you can always call like our hotline or hopefully give them our hotline number, you know, something like that. But I think it's on all of us to end something like that. Is the problem in Amarillo similar to like other cities of this size? Is it better? Is it worse? I mean, how does that compare? So it's really hard to get statistics on trafficking for a lot of reasons. For so many times it presents as something else legally, um, because, or maybe, like the lawyer will prosecute it differently because they know they can actually get him on this or get her on this, like the pimp on something else as opposed to an actual trafficking charge. So the statistics are gray sometimes, if that makes sense. But I would say that like, I don't, I don't know if I believe the Emerald is better or worse. I just know that it's happening here mm-hmm. and then it happens 
a lot. Tell me what you see your career trajectory being like. Is, is this something that you feel you're in in the long term? Do you do you see yourself expanding it somehow or moving into different positions? I mean, or is, is this your thing and, and this is what you're going to do? Right now, I'm, I feel like I have my dream job. Like okay. I love it. And I always think that we should grow. And like, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking on that too, because this is kind of a recent thing being able to do this full time. Right. But right now, I mean, like when this was offered to me, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is my dream. Like I'm getting to do what I really want to do. So I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what I want my next goals to be and like what I want those next steps to be. I definitely think that I'll always be involved in that in the fight I don't know if I'll always do it professionally or do it at work but I'm still kind of figuring out what I want those goals to be as well so as as you think of looking forward or growing in your career whether it's this work or whether it branches out into something else I mean do you feel like you've you've landed in Amarillo and like this is home for you I mean because you have not really had a home like you said this is the longest (laughs) you've been anywhere yeah Um, does this feel like home yet Absolutely. It feels like the only home I've ever had, actually, oddly enough. So like I said, I've been here four years as of August 12th. And so it was about a year ago where I was thinking like, so my parents live on the coast. I was like, move to New Orleans, like be close to your family, because I'm 16 hours away from them right now, which is really far. And from growing up in an RV to being 16 hours away is difficult, you know? Yeah. Um, So about a year ago, I was like, I don't know, maybe you should move. But at this point, being planted had become a a value that was very, very important to me. So I was like toying with this idea. And I just had a gut feeling to stay. I don't know how else to explain it other than just this gut feeling. And I was like, all right, give it one more year. And when I did that, like a lot of things about Amarillo opened up to me that I had not, even though I felt like I had gotten to know it, like I'd been here three years and like I had felt like I had seen all there was to see. Like, Mm -hmm. in fact, the reason I was thinking about moving is I felt like I had drained Amarillo of all that it had for me. That was like kind of what I was telling people. I was like, I love it here. I just feel like I've like drained it dry. Right. But it was literally like that week that just all these things that I didn't know about were presented to me. And I was like, obviously I made the right, (laughs) and obviously I made the right decision. And sitting here now, a year later, like, I don't know that I'll be here forever, but I, I love it here and I don't have any plans to leave right now. Before we close out this section, um, I'd like to hear you because you, you work in a world that's very dark, you know, and filled with like trauma and heartbreak and like some really difficult issues. Yet you've got a nice outgoing, sunny personality, you know, from what I can tell. (laughs) And you're, you're talking about what you love about the city. So tell me, tell me how you balance those things, like, like dealing with stuff that's dark, but also kind of, you know, maintaining, you know, a a personal life and and a balance to all of that stuff. And how does, how does living here like help you with that? Yeah, I think it's imperative to be able to compartmentalize those things and say like, this is my work and I love it and I'm passionate about it. And I give this many hours a day to it. And that's obviously not from when I clock in and when I clock out, that's however much time I allot myself for right. that. You, know you can't I mean? just turn off your brain. When no, you absolutely not. I think it is so important to, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm naturally a pessimistic person. So like I might be sunny, but I, I'm, or you just I'm organically well. a realist. Let's say that. Okay. Um, so I think what obviously helps me so much is having such a strong community here in the sense of people. Like I've never had that before. I've never had five of my people be able to sit at the table at the same time. So obviously that is 
extremely helpful for me to be able to be there and be loved and be safe and be heard. But also like wildcat bluff, like things like that. Mm -hmm. Like I love it out there and I'll go and I'll just like clear my head and for all the bad things, there, there's good things too. And I think just being honest about that is, is what helps me and not focusing on too much of one or the other. This week's episode is also sponsored by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches with three Amarillo locations, Sancy and I-40, Western and Olson, and downtown across from the ballpark. Now this show is about Amarillo and the community and these Jimmy John's locations are locally owned and they are great members of the community, great supporters of local events. So if you need help with a, an event, if you need donations, reach out to any local Jimmy John's location and ask for Charles. They'll do their best to take care of you. And go eat some Jimmy John's. Okay, I'm back with Ashley Jordan of Family Support Services. Ashley, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. Okay. So let's go to the first one. What is your favorite street in Amarillo? Um, I really had to think about this because there's a lot of reasons to love, obviously, like aesthetics or like whatever. But sure. for me personally, it would it would have to be downtown Polk and Taylor. And I know that's so cliche, but it... There's a lot happening on There's a streets. lot happening down there. And it's also like the place where I met people and okay. like... All those things. So I have to give credit where credit's due. So downtown Polk and Taylor. Where, where are the family support services offices? It's on 10th and Taylor. 10th and Taylor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking it was right there in that area. Mm -hmm. So, What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? Um, Itchy Bon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't eat the carbs like I used to, but if I... If I could, I would be there almost every day for sure. So I think I think you're the first person who has mentioned that one. Really? Um, tell me what you love about it. For people that haven't been there, Okay. what's your order there and, and why do you like it? All of their soups are super, super good. So just pick one. Um, but the reason that I love it is because it's so tiny and it's just very intimate and you can see the people cooking and it's not, it's very laid back. It's just, I, I just love it. And their food's delicious. It's like... The one legit ramen place, yes. I think, in Amarillo, yeah. if that's what you like. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. What does this area have too much of? I thought about just saying like a joke, like construction or stray dogs or something. Which people have said before, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I personally think that in, in like in all honesty, I think Amarillo has too much criticism on itself. Like the people that are here are too hard on Amarillo. And like okay. that's what I feel like Amarillo has too much of. And so a lot of people... It's like nobody wants to admit that they love it here. And I find that. So the default so is to grumble. About yeah. It's like what we can find wrong. Yeah. And so people either like do that or they leave. Nobody wants to stay and make it better. I just think there's people are too hard on it. And there's like a stigma against loving Amarillo, I think. <laughs> can you be like armchair psychologist? And, <laughs> you know, someone who has come here on purpose, you know, didn't grow up here. Why are we that way? Do you, do you have an idea? I think one of the main reasons that it's that way is because of the face that Amarillo has. So like on the surface, it is like very West Texas. And I think so the people that are different than that, they're mm -hmm. like, no, I don't love it here because it doesn't represent me. But that's not true. And they know that. And that's why they're here. But because the face is so different than what they are, they're like, no. And I mean, I was like that too. I mean, I remember the moment that I realized I loved it here was when I had been saying I didn't like it until someone said that they didn't like it and I defended Amarillo. Okay. And I was like, oh, whoa, that's weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> why? when did that happen? And I really evaluated, do I like it here or 
do I not? And why do I say that I don't if I do? Um, and that was kind of the conclusion that I came to. It's because people that are not from here, their impression of it is so different um, than what it truly is. And so I didn't want to be associated with the face of Amarillo. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good answer. Thanks. Good job. <laughs> um, what does this area not have enough of? In my opinion, I don't think there's enough communication from people that care about the same things. So what I mean by that is like, as someone who my, my social life looks a lot like my, my work life because those things bleed over because that's what I'm passionate about. I see that I'm sitting at one table where everyone's passionate about this issue. I'll go to coffee and they're passionate about this issue, but they don't know anything about these other tables. So right. it's like they very rarely get together to fight the same fight. And then when that happens, people feel alone. Like they feel like, well, there's six people in Amarillo that are like fighting this fight and it's not true. We just haven't expanded our table. So there's these pocket passions when we're all pushing for the same thing, but no one's communicating. Okay. That makes sense. We, we sort of get caught in our bubbles and yeah. do a good job reaching out or inserting ourselves, you know, yeah. into, into other conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like I'm at an advantage because it's like certain parts of my life are thriving on a sixth street while parts of my life are thriving downtown. And that is because I'm not from here and I didn't grow up and then have this place that I've been sticking to. Right. You know what I mean? And so I've been really so lucky to see the best of all these little cliques of Amarillo. Um, and that's fine. Like that's inevitably going to happen anywhere. But when we're talking about activism or we're talking about change or we're talking about politics, like we have to get better about all sitting down at the same table and fighting the same fight. Okay. So I guess what Amarillo doesn't have enough of is just communication on those things, inviting people in. You, uh, you've covered this a little bit, but how do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? So maybe you're talking to your family and yeah. about where you live. Or, I mean, what, what do you tell them? Like I said earlier, I just describe it as a really weird place. And it really wasn't until the last year that I heard, like, I'm a true crime, like, I'm not special in that. Like I'm a sucker for some true crime. Right. Um, <laughs> Which the podcast world is great. If that's yeah, your love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I just found out like this past year, like all these weird true crime things that have happened in Amarillo that you can't really find any evidence on. And like, there's all these, I'm not even a spiritual person, but I love spooky things. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's all these places that are supposedly haunted and like, there's all these just weird things for a city. That's not very large. Like, and we're, we're not small by any means, but there's just so much history here. And I think it's just really quirky. I think Amarillo is a quirky place. I think it's different than what it presents itself as. And I think that between the history and just the diversity, all those things, I just think it's quirky. Okay. I, just, <laughs> I just think it's a weird place. <laughs> when was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? I honestly have not been to Cadillac Ranch really? in probably three and a half years. Okay. Like probably, I think I went. You have been? Like, I have been. After you arrived here? And yes. You made the pilgrimage and Yes, of it. course. Okay. I always have good intentions to go out when they, you know, spray it with pride colors, but I, it's at like five o'clock in the morning, so I don't usually make, I've never made it. Yeah. And the colors don't last very long. Yeah. It doesn't take long before that gets painted no. over. <laughs> Okay, what's your favorite local coffee shop? I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll let you say. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, I'm a Palace fan just through and through. I have to give, I just, I love, I love Palace. I love Patrick. I love all of them. I've recently started going to the 806 a lot, mm -hmm. but if I'm going to have to like slap a favorite sticker on something, I got to say Palace. <laughs> Is there a certain drink that you get there? Coffee soda. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> with, uh, is that with like Topo Chico? Yeah, yeah, it's cold brew and Topo, together. yeah. Okay. It's amazing. I've, I've tried it. I didn't love it. 
<laughs> I love coffee and I love Topo Chico, but like, I don't like them together. People either it love it or hate it. A friend yeah. of mine took a sip earlier this week and spit it out. So yeah. people love it or hate it for sure. Okay. Well, I'll let you love it. It's fine. <laughs> What's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo? I think that one of the most beautiful things about living in Amarillo is that despite what it may look like, um, there is a large amount of people that value the same things that I do. And so when you look at Amarillo on the surface, it looks like most of the population believe this or they are this way or they are whatever. And I get asked that a lot. Like, how do you live in a, in a place that seems so different than you? But that kind of goes back to what we've talked about. And what I found is it's just simply not true. Um, there's not just a few people that value and love the things that I do. It is, it's a population of people. Right. And obviously like Amarillo leans one way or the other, but there is a lot of people that, that feel the way I do, that care about the things that I do. You've mentioned that it's, it's diversity more than once. And yeah. I think that, it, I think you're right. That always is surprising to people because from the outside, people may think, oh, this is a politically a very conservative place. Everybody mm-hmm. believes the same thing. Everybody is this religious aspect. Everybody is white, you know, or yeah. whatever. And it's, you're right that if you are looking for people who believe the same as you or who are like you, you can find those people. Yeah. It's not a homogenous population or as much as people tend to think it is. Absolutely. And I think, I think that the reason that is, is because most cities like grow up, but Amarillo has so much area to grow out. So we're like a, a large city as far as size goes. So like I used to work in youth services. I was down at like PD a lot, like in that mm-hmm. area. And when you go out there, you're like, Oh my God. Like there is, I, I can't remember off how the top many of my languages head. are spoken. Yes. Here. I can't remember yes. how many languages are spoken at PD, but it's an enormous amount. And you just drive around and you see like communities that are completely different cultures. And that is so cool. Like that we have grocery stores for like different groups of right. people. And like, that's so beautiful to me. And like you said, People think that everyone here is like white and conservative and a cowboy and they have horses and like, and sure we have that, but we have so much diversity in Amarillo and it's so beautiful. You just have to drive a little bit. (laughs) Get out of your neighborhood. Yeah. Get out of your neighborhood for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that concludes the eight straight questions. Ashley, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something. So what is something that you would want listeners to know about or to experience in this area? Um, so my best friend and her husband recently took over Mariposa or they're managing Mariposa. If you're from Amarillo, I'm sure you've heard of it, but I had just heard about Mariposa less than a year ago. And, and so I, it's, it's like an eco village yes. over in the Wildcat Bluff area yes. west of Sauncy. Yes. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really cool place. They've had a lot of goals, like people that have managed it throughout the years, they've had a lot of different visions for it. So in saying that, if you've had past experiences with Mariposa, maybe check it out again. Um, not because they're better or worse than previous managers. They just might have a different vision that you are more likely to be involved with. Okay. Right now they're working on the the houses, like Airbnb them out, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done and they need volunteers. And it, yeah, I would just, I would love for people to give it another shot if they've given it in the past. They may, they may have a direction that you're more passionate about. What's the best way for people to learn about it or visit out there or anything? They can reach out to the Facebook page. Mariposa Eco Village has a Facebook page and an Instagram. So just shoot them a message on there and they'll get back with you. Okay. Ashley Jordan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. (laughs) And that concludes the show. First, thanks to the Manny Camper and to Jimmy Johns for sponsoring this episode. And thanks also to Ashley Jordan for the interview. You can learn more about Family Support Services by visiting fss-ama.org.
fss-amh.org. That's fss-ama. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode, like she does every week, and for introducing me to Ashley. And finally, thanks to my executive producers, Jason Burr, Corey Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, and Chris Selda. They all support the show through Patreon. So if you want to support the show, too, with uh, a monthly donation, go to patreon.com slash heyamarillo. And if you love the show, you can be part of the team that makes it happen every month, every week. How often do I do this thing? Anyway, thanks for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.